Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast episode. I am your host, Amanda Farmer, and this week I'm bringing you an edited version of my live chat with SCA New South Wales President, Chris Duggan. Chris and I were live over on the Your Strata Property Facebook page last Friday, the 30th of July. We covered the new professional standards scheme for New South Wales Strata Managers, as well as the amended public health orders. These amended orders in New South Wales allow renovation work to commence once again in our residential premises, but on very strict conditions. Chris and I debate the meaning and the effect of these conditions on our strata communities in the second half of this chat. Now, unusually, and perhaps for me and Chris, unexpectedly, the health orders have not changed since this chat. We don't yet have the clarity that we were hoping to get and that you'll hear us call for. The good news about that is that what you are about to hear is still up to date as of the time I'm recording this intro, which is the morning of Wednesday, the 4th of August. But do make sure that you stay up to date. The link to access the current version of the New South Wales Public Health Order is in the show notes for this episode, and you can access those over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcasts. You'll see at the top of the list there, this podcast episode number 273, and that's also where you can access a transcript of this episode. I am live over on Facebook, Fortnightly Fridays, most often interviewing a special guest. I'd love to see you there. You can find us on Facebook by typing Your Strata Property into the Facebook search. And if you choose to like or follow the page, you'll know when I'm next live. Right now, I'll take you over to the edited version of my recent live chat with Chris Duggan. My guest this week hardly needs any introduction. He is well known to many of you, I am sure. Chris Duggan is the Managing Director of the Brighton Duggan Property Group, and he is the current President of SCA New South Wales. He was also recently appointed by the Minister for Better Regulation as the inaugural chair of the newly formed Property Services Expert Panel. He has been one of our most popular podcast guests over the years, and he is also a previous and very popular guest on our Friday Live. I can tell that popularity hasn't declined, Chris, because there are lots of people here tuning in live, ready to hear from you. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome him back. He is indeed Chris Duggan. Hey, Chris. Hello, Amanda. Thank you for having me once again, and thank you for the very generous introduction as always. You are a busy man, Chris, and I imagine that it feels like a lifetime ago. I think it was only a month, the 1st of July, when you announced the Professional Standards Scheme, but so much has happened since then. I want to take us back there. Would you mind sharing for us what the Professional Standards Scheme is all about and why our New South Wales strata managers need to be a concept? 
Oh, look, absolutely. And at the outset, let me just also do a shout out to the wonderful event that you're putting on next week. I think you've got incredibly generous sponsors in yourself and also in Women and Strata to be putting on that event. And I would encourage everyone, I think I'm going to get along myself because it sounds amazing. It sounds like something that's totally appropriate for what we're all doing and coping together with. Uh, but focusing on the professional standard scheme, and it does feel like an eternity. And I think everyone who's on this webinar can feel that whether you live in strata, work in strata or have an interest in strata, it's been an exceptional period of change. And a month ago, we had a huge amount of change when we announced the commencement of our professional standard scheme. And I guess to give a little bit of context about what a professional standard scheme is, I think is probably appropriate. So the technical definition is it's an occupation association, which in this instance is SCA New South Wales. And we actually put in place via the Professional Standards Authority, our own unique piece of legislation. So shorthand, it means that it's about monitoring, enforcing and improving professional standards, uh, mostly to benefit the consumer, but also to improve standards and performance of strata managers. Uh, so we're very lucky. We're in rather rarefied company. There's only 17 professional standards in Australia. And you may recognise them. There's the bar associations of each state. There's the Law Society. There's CPA. There's CAs. And most recently, for the first time in six years, Strata Community Association New South Wales, uh, along with the Institute of Building Surveyors, uh, had our schemes approved by the government, which is incredible. Uh, we think it's a wonderful thing. And there are significant consumer benefits, which I can go into, because ultimately it's about improving standards, improving trust, and making sure that strata management as a whole improves. All sounds like good stuff, Chris. This is something that I know you have been working on for some time, some years, if I have that right. You talk about improving standards and the skills and the expertise of our strata managers. Does this mean increased education, training? What are the practicalities of that for our managers? Look, absolutely, Amanda, it does. It, it means more work for strata managers, but necessarily so to make sure that we can improve because, look, strata managers everywhere will tell you that they will embrace the idea and the notion of improving their professionalism. And I'm hoping consumers embrace it likewise. So what it means on the ground, it means that there's going to be a, a beefed up code of ethics that will be adhered to by our managers. And that creates a pathway for dispute resolution and for escalation of issues by consumers. That will be overseen by an independent group under the auspice of SCA New South Wales to make sure that we do improve. And I think one of the key things is it's not just a complaint resolution body, and we don't want it to become that because there are other mechanisms as well that will operate in parallel, like fair trading, which will still have an equally important role. But what it will mean is that we have meaningful areas of improvement to work on. We will get first-hand experience of some of those consumer pressure points and pain points and frustrations, and we'll have a focus over the forward 12 months as an organisation to make sure we improve standards. So as a manager, you'll find yourself having to do more CPD points, and we're unashamed about that. Strata managers need to set themselves apart from the bare minimum and do more. So we think managers will embrace that. In fact, we know they will. And they'll get more CPD by being more involved in their association. So for example, coming along to events like this may in time be something that they can get their CPD points for. So we may be sending more managers your way, Amanda, to try and get their CPD points. But what we do hope is that improve consumer trust is a result of this. And that is that we understand that consumers get a lot of advice from strata managers and maybe from time to time receive some frustrations with the way they perform or the way their, their expertise needs to be moved. And we're hoping as an association to move the dial forward. And as I said, we're very confident that everyone's on that journey with us. And is it the case that if you are an SCA strata manager member, 
you are automatically part of the professional standards scheme and automatically required to do this additional education and training and also have the added protections that the scheme gives you as a professional. Is it for all New South Wales Strata Manager members? It is. It's for New South Wales Strata Manager members. In fact, it's for anyone that's a member of our association that touches a customer. So we're expanding it beyond just strata managers. So to the staff at Backer House that deal with customers, this is about lifting standards across the board. It's initially based in New South Wales because we're obviously a state-based organisation, but I have got great interest from our counterparts across the country to make this a national scheme. So we'll be working with each of the states to try and obviously replicate what we've achieved here. And I can see it in time being a national standard that's applied equally and it's also a great way for us to harmonise and and as you know trying to harmonise laws through government is not impossible so as an association we'll take on that agenda and hopefully get there ourselves. Something that I hear a bit Chris from consumers you call consumers you're referring to our the owners in our schemes owners. our residents who have strata managers who are serving them is that when things go wrong if the strata manager doesn't do what the owners expect that they do or they feel that they're not fulfilling their duty, it's hard for owners to know where to go, where to complain, where to seek redress for that. Do they go to fair trading? I'm often asked, do they go to the tribunal? Amanda, which section of the act is it if we want to take action against our strata manager? Is it the case that now with this scheme in place, part of being a professional is having that obligation, that responsibility for self-regulation? As lawyers do, there's a whole system set up on behalf of lawyers for the people that we work with, that if there's a problem, then it's dealt with uh, by our professional body. Is that the kind of thing that's now going to be happening for strata managers? Do our owners go to SCA if they have a problem with their strata manager? That's right. And that's what we'll be promoting. And and it's an aspirational goal that we're moving towards. And now we've got the framework under the professional standards to try and achieve that, Amanda. So it will mean that we'll need to all change our pattern of behaviours in terms of understanding how strata managers operate in that framework, but also how consumers, when I say consumers, I mean owners in strata and, and tenants in strata and those who are stakeholders, they will have the opportunity to utilise our enforceable code of ethics. They'll have a very clear, visible choice about who they'd like to go with as a strata manager. And we're hoping that they start to see that that differentiation between a professional strata manager under SCA and others. They should in time improve the level of confidence they have dealing with a recognised professional, but that may take a bit of time for that to happen. There'll be a public register, so you'll be able to search who your manager is. But ultimately, we're hoping that some of those road bumps that we get along the way are going to be used really effectively to improve education above that base minimum that we have. Now, fair trading will still play a role. They're still our licensing body. So if you still have issues, you can go to them. And certainly when it comes to the very more serious issues, we're expecting people to still go and utilise those services of fair trading. But we also want fair trading to not be the only port of call. And SCA has a responsibility and obligation. We've already put on three more staff, in fact, as at this month to deal with the professional standard scheme. So we're very serious about making sure we resource it. And I've seen some of the chat about people wanting to contact SCA. I mean, absolutely. If your manager is a member of SCA, then you have an entitlement to put through uh, an application under that code of ethics. Some strata managers, Chris, might be saying, this all sounds like a lot more work for us, a lot more onerous for us to be able to meet these education requirements. I became a strata manager because I didn't want to do that stuff that lawyers and accountants want to do. What's in it for strata managers? Why would they want to be part of this scheme? I've got another follow-up question to that, but I'll leave that one with you. 
for the minute. Why would Australia Manager want to be part of a professional standards scheme? Oh, look, absolutely. And I think you'll find that the majority of managers already do the work that's required for the additional CPD points. I mean, they're already engaged in many of them who are on this chat are the ones who I know that go over and above. But this is about an escalated career path. It's about clearly setting apart strata management as a property profession. It's about re-engaging and reinforcing the leadership opportunities that they have, the career progression, increasing their professionalism. So I actually think that we're going to find that many people gravitate towards it as a positive. And there will be a few people who find this a bridge too far. But frankly, the people who don't want to increase their professionalism are not necessarily the ones that we want out there at the helm. So we only want unashamedly people who want to take that next step. And there may be a place where people say that's not for me. I'm hoping it's not. All the feedback we've had unanimously across the board from managers both interstate and in New South Wales are that they want this aspirational goal. They want that higher standing, the recognition. They want that uh, self-regulation type uh, responsibility that SCA is going to provide. And there's ultimately a benefit for them because they're going to be professionals. And I'm, I'm sure at a point, Lawyers had questions about that level of scrutiny, but they've embraced that and they've created, you know, bona fide career paths as a result of that. So I think overwhelmingly it's a positive approach. Do you think strata managers will see room to be charging more for their services now that they have or in time have this escalated level of recognition and professionalism? Look, whilst we're not going to suggest that by merely having a professional standard scheme, you can increase fees, that's not appropriate. But what we hope is that increased professionalism increases the value to the customer, which is strata plant. So as a result of people becoming more qualified, having a more robust code of conduct, being more accountable, then I would imagine they'd be more confident to have more value in the services they provide. So there is a correlation. It's not something that we would ever directly advocate, but you've probably seen that people go to a lawyer knowing that they're getting good advice and being happy to pay for it. We want strata managers ultimately to have that same trust relationship with their customers. Yep. Uh, I'm just seeing a, I think it's a comment here from Gail, who is saying that ours, I imagine our strata managing company has given their receptionist the title of assistant strata manager, um, handling everything with no qualifications. Now, I understand, Chris, there were some changes to our property services legislation in 2020 that changed licensing rules, titles, terminology. Can you speak to this title of assistant strata manager and what that means? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's a technical label under the new licensing obligation. So we have now the new qualification of assistant strata manager, which used to be a certificate strata manager under the old legislation. And rightly so, anyone who undertakes a delegated function on behalf of the agency needs to be an assistant manager or a class one manager or a licensee in charge. So that person in your agency, Gail, I gather is undertaking one of those functions. They ought to have qualifications. They need to have the appropriate certificate and qualification under fair trading and under their licensing, under the Property Stock and Business Agents Act. And what an assistant means is that they have certain restrictions on what they can do. So a licensed strata managing agent is now considered a class one agent. And uh, I think you'll find that, I'm not trying to make a comment on the particular circumstances here, but I'd be hoping that they have the appropriate qualifications to be undertaking that. They can't just call themselves an assistant without having that base level qualification in place. Mm. Thank you for answering that one. And I'm seeing some other questions here about how do I speak to SCA? Uh, what's the number? I am more than happy to come back and fill that in for you. Uh, Leonie in particular is asking that question. And I imagine, Chris, there's no objection to our owners reaching out to SCA New South Wales for direction. 
that's what we're here for. Excellent. And the same with uh, Philly. You've got a question that I'll come back and address. Uh, If you're having difficulties with your owners corporation members, your strata committee, that is certainly a different path to your strata manager, if I can just make that clear. And I'll, I'll come back and answer some of those comments to give some of that direction. Something that I do want to get into now, Chris, uh, a big something that I have foreshadowed earlier in this live session is that I do want to make sure we have enough time to talk about the amended public health orders. And you and I have both anticipated that there will be some questions around these. I know that you ran a webinar, uh, I think it was directed to SCA members earlier this week, but quite um, generously that webinar was shared publicly on your website and I had a listen to that earlier today. Since then, the amended orders that will commence Saturday the 31st of July have been published on our Legislation New South Wales website and I will just invite Rochelle to pop the link to that page in the comments here. This is the page that I keep saying most weeks we should be returning to the COVID legislation page on our New South Wales legislation website to get the most up-to-date public health order. You'll see from the lists and lists and lists of amendments, it is amended almost every day. But this week in particular, the key amendment for us living in, working, serving strata schemes is about the kind of work that can now recommence in our buildings. Chris, I might hand over to you to introduce from your point of view and from what you're hearing in terms of your strata manager questions that are coming in, your contractor questions that are coming in. What is it that is going to be allowed to happen in our strata buildings from tomorrow? It's an excellent question, Amanda. And um it underlies, I guess, the complexity of the issues we're dealing with at the moment. So it is a moving feast. We did, similar to you, an update last week to our members after the rather abrupt awareness around the impacts that were occurring. Uh, I think that might have been been two weeks ago. Um, And since then, we've clearly had the latest public health order, which I think creates some certainty, but also creates a whole bunch of other areas requiring clarity. And we spent a lot of time dealing with individual nuanced questions. And and in fact, what we found is that there's still a moving feast around some of the interpretation. So I I guess it's best to work with what we know. And at the outset, can I tell you that we've been lucky to have been engaging very closely with government from a fair trading and a health perspective around trying to get clarity on these orders. Because as you can imagine, when the head of government, so the Premier and her team make announcements, it has a trickle-down effect to all of the different departments. And they get quickly into interpretation and clarification mode. And then oftentimes all of the different industry groups that are impacted uh, put their two cents forward and you end up with quite a a difficult situation to get any clear answers. We've been very lucky to have some real-time responses, but in the same time, I think we acknowledge that government has their hands full here. And I think one of the major issues we're seeing is that the government very much has a clear mandate to limit travel. And that is often in conflict with what a lot of us would like to see, which is the loosening of some of these restrictions to enable some of our business as usual issues. So if I could deal with it in two areas, Amanda, if you don't mind, one is the the non-lockdown or the non-restricted LGAs. I think they're much simpler, frankly, because they require, I guess, a little bit less discussion around what can and can't be done. So if we deal with them as a standalone in the non-lockdown areas, effective from tomorrow, there's going to be a recommencement of some development and construction work, obviously, and some trade work, including cleaners and gardeners allowed to resume their normal 
duties. However, they're subject to further restrictions in an outdoor area limiting those people to five and in an indoor area limiting them to two, which creates a, a bit of discussion, which I'm happy to have for you there because there's a number of scenarios that play out from there because the, the wording of that gives rise to two people within a residential premise and, and it's probably worth having a discussion there because whilst it does allow someone to isolate in their apartment whilst a trade is there, it potentially limits that two-person principle to the entire building. And I know you and I have had a little bit of a discussion prior to about that, but I think that's a particular nuance that needs to be understood because it's going to limit significantly the amount of people that can access a strata property in total. Yes, I have been looking closely at the amended orders here today. They fell on the floor earlier and they're back. On my reading, the work that can now go on in our residential strata schemes, which was previously not permitted or only permitted in very urgent circumstances, is cleaning, repairs and maintenance and alterations or additions. Um, So that renovation work that we were saying last week, no, that's not happening anymore. But the conditions are that you can only have two workers maximum at the place of residence at any one time. Uh, That's indoors, and you've already said, Chris, that if they're outdoors, it's five workers. The obvious question that comes up, and when I read this and when I was emailing you earlier today is, well, a place of residence, Mm. according to the definition in the health order, when we're looking at a strata scheme, includes the common property. It is your apartment and it is also the access to your apartment, your stairs, your lifts, your front door, your foyer. That is the definition that's in our health orders. So if we say no more than two workers at a place of residence at any one time, in my view, that means no more than two workers in your apartment doing the work and on the common property doing the work. It includes common property and the apartment where the work is taking place. So I think buildings are going to have to be very careful to be aware at all times how many workers, and I keep saying workers, it's not just people generally, it's not just visitors or residents, workers are at the building full stop because it would be very easy in my view to be in breach of this requirement. The minute you've got plumbers working in apartment two, fixing a pipe, and then your cleaners turn up to empty the bins, oops, we've got four people in the building inside. Mm at the one time. Yeah, it's logistically challenging. And I think this is a, a product of very hasty regulation making at a government level. And and I guess we've been making it abundantly clear. There are very common sense reasons why the government wants to limit behaviour. And it's not up to us to necessarily put holes in it because frankly, when you do these types of restrictive amendments on the run, it creates a whole bunch of confusion. And I think what we're trying to reinforce with consumers and with owners and with strata managers and with suppliers is that everyone needs to be sensible, reasonable and understand what is makes common sense on the common property to do right now and what can necessarily be deferred. So I've been cautioning people to try and not overextend even though it makes a lot of sense and people want to get back to their business as usual type of function, particularly in an owner's corporation. But we've seen enough evidence to present that if we don't do our part and if we don't try and bend those rules, the risk is that we're going to be here longer and have firmer restrictions. So I think think it's very unfortunate that we're here where we are now and, and we're likely to see some amendments to these orders, frankly, particularly when we get to the restricted LGAs, Amanda, but it's challenging. And I probably want to touch on gardening, if you don't mind, because... Please do. We've already had a question from Leonie about uh, lawns. Can lawns be mowed? There it is. 
Look, and I, I think the answer is yes. Lawns can be resumed so long as you have that limitation in a unrestricted LGA to the five people. I think that can happen because that isn't a contactless tradie call it that can occur. It can occur very easily and it can occur without potentially impacting or, or coming into contact with anyone else. I think it gets more challenging when you talk about the restricted LGAs, which we might pass over to soon, but I think that is probably the easiest one that we can deal with, which is lawns and gardens. I think it's more challenging when you start to overlay the multiple trades attending to apartments at once. And, and bear in mind that each particular interest group will have their own challenge around this because I know real estate agents want a resumption to their sales activities and their pre-letting activities and their inspection activities, which are necessarily restricted at present. And they become compounding factors for strata because they become areas that we need to manage by proxy because we have to obviously manage tenancy, move-ins, move-outs, by nature of the common property function. Yeah, it's frustrating that after all this time, what feels like all this time, and I keep going back to March last year when the pandemic first hit here in this country and we were talking about health orders, that they continue to be produced in such a form that we as strata schemes, the strata sector, we're overlooked. And I know that is not due to any lack of advocacy, any lack of discussion that's happening. I know exactly what you're doing, what the Owners Corporation Network is doing. I know who's talking to who. And I just don't understand why the message doesn't land or where it gets lost. Because, I mean, I'm just pulling out here Kevin's comment. Um, This is exactly as we predicted, Chris. Mm. Here come the questions. Kevin saying, we have 48 apartments. If I have two workers in mine and I have isolated myself, which is a good point, Kevin, that is the second part to this. You can't be in the same room as the workers. No other apartment can have workers in their apartment while my guys are there, question mark. We have no building manager. That's going to be held to set up and be monitored. Mm. Now, Kevin, I thought about this this afternoon. If the two workers at a place of residence, I've already said it, that includes your apartment and the common property. But what about what's happening in other apartments? That's a very good question. And I I battled with myself as to whether the two workers means two workers on the whole site, including everybody else's apartment. On its face, that is actually how the health order reads. But if we apply that interpretation, then the visitor rule, which we used to have back in the beginning, you could only have five visitors to a place of residence. The visitor rule applies that way too, which surely is not the intention that you could only ever have five visitors to an entire site of 48 apartments, for example, Kevin. You know, the lucky person in apartment number five who gets all of their visitors in first, nobody else can have visitors. That's clearly not the intention. But I think we need clarity there to say you can have workers in different apartments because they are separated from others, but the issue of passing each other on the common property is an important one. It's one that uh, there needs to be common sense around that, and I think definitely buildings would be wise to be making sure if they have numerous contractors on site, those contractors are communicating with each other to make sure that they're not on the common property at the same time. I know a building I'm working closely with today was asking me this question, can the renovations in Unit 27 now continue? And I've said two workers in that apartment, but on Tuesday when the cleaners turn up, they better talk to each other because they need to make sure they don't bump into each other in the common hallway or on level seven. So it's tricky and the health orders are not clear and a lot is being left to us to work out for ourselves and apply this common sense approach. And it's exhausting. 
Look, absolutely. I think Kevin's comment there underscores that level of complexity. And I think you made an appropriate comment there about who is making these orders and what's the context. I know for a fact that fair trading internally have been advocating very heavily with health to put common sense into these orders. In fact, their view is very much harmonised with all the comments I'm seeing and with our own. And that is that the practical perspective of this needs to be understood. Health are overriding in most parts a lot of the decisions at a practical level on the basis of restricted movement. So that's always going to be this very difficult tension to manage over the forward couple of weeks that we've got. And I think that's going to be our challenge, how we interpret that, how we support our communities and how we can make sure we get a pragmatic outcome. So the one you've just identified, I think is perhaps an easy one. We're talking about people who are in fairly unrestricted areas and when we're going to have to have more people on the common property. You imagine a large block of 100 units. You've got two cleaners there already. So you've got two cleaners, you've potentially got a building manager. What happens if a plumber has to come in? What happens if someone has to come in unit three? You've got four people on the common property. The orders weren't made to preclude those people. They were made to manage and mitigate having five trades in the one apartment doing a kitchen renovation. So I think what we fully expect from here, and I've, I've been on the phone with the government just prior to this, and in fact, I expect to see this potentially in the media over coming days, there is going to be another number of these anomalies pointed out. And I would expect we're going to get some clarity and hopefully some amendments in the short term, which make sense of this. But if health come down hard and say that restrictive movement is the key priority, we may have to, to come up with some alternative solutions, Amanda. And I know the community on here is best placed to understand that and deal with it, but it will be challenging. Speaking of challenges, we now have eight LGAs in Greater Sydney that are subject to uh, even tighter restrictions. I know with the growth of those areas, that's something that you, your members, your contractors, you have um, supplier members, cleaners have been trying to grapple with. What is the situation with those eight LGAs? No one in, no one out? Yeah, it's challenging. It's not necessarily no one in, no one out, but let's deal with the lockdown LGAs. It is really challenging. These are very, very large parts of Sydney when you put them together. And the representation that we made and was being made internally within government is that this is a large part of the workforce that supports strata. So if you can imagine a lot of the buildings, particularly a lot of the, the cleaners and trades in those buildings, live in those lockdown LGAs. And despite very strong representation about allowing those people to be recognised as authorised workers, there has been a very, very firm mandate that the government is aware of that impact, but does not want those people travelling into those other LGAs. So I, I suspect this is going to be where we really see the rubber hit the road. We're going to see some capacity issues in the short term. I spoke to a journalist only an hour ago who said there's already buildings where there's conjecture about whether or not those cleaners are allowed to attend out of those lockdown LGAs. And our very firm advice, unfortunately, is that anyone in a lockdown LGA, unless you fit the very prescriptive list of authorised workers, and cleaners unfortunately are not one of those, you cannot leave. I did hear some people trying to classify some of the services under other services, which is one of the criteria under number 12 of the authorised people. And the government has come back with very, very clear advice that only relates to essential services in relation to public and recreational spaces. And they're saying that strata are not. So this is not ideal listening for a number of people on here. And I suspect this is going to crunch when it comes to capacity. But those areas are locked down. Now, you said move in, move out. The irony here, and you can probably back me up, hopefully, is that 
people moving into, so contractors moving into those lockdown LGAs don't have the same restrictions. So if you're residing in North Sydney, for example, and you're a trade, my understanding is, Amanda, and you can hopefully back me up here, is that you can go into Parramatta and do your work subject to, obviously, the appropriate restrictions that are in place within that LGA, but you're not burdened with the same restriction. That was my understanding when I last looked at that question last week, Chris, because I, like you, had the deluge of questions from contractors when this restriction was first put in place for cleaning in particular. Amanda, I don't live in those areas. I live outside, but my boss is telling me to go to work. Can I go to work? And when I looked at that, I said, strangely, yes. Strangely, yes, you can. I will check that that hasn't changed, but last I looked, that was the case. Uh, I'll come back and at this um, part of the recording, I will put my comments there and uh, just making sure that if that has changed, I'll let you know. But um, otherwise, I think that's the case. No, it is. And, and I think it's not just cleaners. Uh, I think we also need to talk about building managers, concierge staff, security. They all are slightly nuanced. And this is where it's very difficult to provide a one-size-fits-all comment because it depends on where that person resides, where the building is, and whether each of those are in a restricted LGA or not, whether the functions are for an emergency, whether there's a security or safety aspect to it, whether someone else can do that function for them. So you can see every time a question is posed, and this is why it's very difficult when you get a one-dimensional question, can I attend this building? It needs to go through three or four filters of common sense and of, of clarification. It may not be unfair that we're expected to do that, but that's where the orders stand at the moment. What I expect to see is I expect to see a little bit of a, a sifting of some of this uncertainty over the coming days and perhaps a bit of a change around some of these. I suspect the first area of change will be those cleaners being locked into those restricted LGAs. I think that is impractical. I perfectly understand the risks, but if you said to a cleaning contractor, you need to get tested every two days or three days like most of the other high-risk areas before you can leave, I'm sure they'd be happy to because I think we're going to see a crunch in capacity. And I already know of a number of cleaning workforces that have no employees that reside outside of restricted LGAs. And then it comes down to, well, who's going to move those bins? Who's going to clean those high-frequency touch points? And having those areas not maintained creates a compounded health and safety risk for those buildings. Yeah, definitely. A question about fire safety, fire professionals, just while we're on the topic of authorised workers, this is something that has been coming up, Chris. Am I right that in the strata context, they are still the only relevant professional or trade that is an authorised worker and therefore can have people coming from those eight LGAs to a strata building. That's right. I mean, fire was added in as a standalone item under, and I've got my list here like you. I mean, I've got more pieces of paper to refer to, and this is why I think it's quite unfair for a layperson or for a consumer to be expected to understand this. And that's why I'm and, hoping And it's that very hard on my printer. I print oh. out 25 pages of new stuff every day and I chuck out the rest. <laughs> I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm like you. I have to print it because I need to. Otherwise, there are too many screens open on my own. And you can see me here. I feel like I've got four screens open because they're all got different information, and I need to print them to be across them. Um, so, fire is is one of the only carve outs. I mean, and I've seen Jane's comments, and, and she's exactly right. There's no prescriptive carve out for any of building managers, cleaners, security under authorised workers. You could, and I'm not going to suggest, but there's an argument around some essential work that may be required in the event of emergency. But I think we've got to get sensible and real here. And what's the common sense? 
governance approach that's been advocated. And that is, if you're in one of those LGAs, you've been restricted for a reason. And that is that there is a very high likelihood that you're going to potentially spread that virus into an area that's not unrestricted. And therefore, if it can be done by someone else, it should be. Now, that's logistically challenging. It's a pain in the backside. It means that we all need to potentially innovate. But that's what we're here to do. And I think as a, as a village, we can solve this. We solved it before last year, perhaps with not as much uncertainty, which is ironic considering we were dealing with the pandemic from scratch. But I think there is, is just a little bit more concern about the rapid spread of Delta relative to what it was last year. Mm. Question here from Linda. This is a good one. It came up in a building that I sit on the committee of very recently. Our neighbours are moving next week. Is there a limit on how many movers are permitted to be in the building, including their unit, the hallways, the lift, etc.? Chris, you might weigh in, but my view on this is that as long as the movers are not coming from one of the eight LGAs where only authorised workers are permitted to leave for the purpose of work, then moving people in outside of those LGAs is work that can continue. It's work that can't be done from home. Obviously, we have to be moving people in. But definitely, and this is what I suggested to my fellow committee members earlier this week, we need to be finding out where those people are coming from. Make sure they're not coming from one of the eight LGAs because they're not permitted to leave those LGAs. And the removalist work is not construction work, it's not cleaning, it's not repairs and maintenance, so it's not one of those categories of work where we have numbers restricted. Uh, So that, in my view, is allowed to happen. Chris, you got thoughts on that? I do, and this is is what I feel for, for anyone in government. It's very difficult to create a set of prescriptive laws that fits all the different nuances of the way strata, a building, community or any industry operates. I think this is probably one of the more challenging ones. And I know that there are building managers and building strata committees that have been put in the unenviable position of needing to verify where removalists come from. Is it fair to expect a strata committee member to ask a removalist who's been engaged by a tenant or an owner to show that they've had their test done, to ask where they're from. Um, so I think that's where we need the assistance, you know, and I think this is one of those areas where it doesn't fit some of the prescriptive criteria, but a common sense approach needs to apply. So if we're saying that there is a limit to contactless tradies, for example, of two people internally, then I would expect the mover to have two people only, and I'd expect them where they can to provide a contactless service. Now, that's difficult when you move in because you would like to stand there and tell them which room you'd like things in. But we need to be mindful that it's a higher risk industry and it's a higher risk as we've seen from some of the interstate challenges that have occurred with removalists. I think I think everyone needs to apply that common sense stick where we can. On that contactless point, Chris, I saw, I don't know if I was reading it, I might have heard it on your webinar, a suggestion that our strata managers in particular start to develop procedures around contactless key handover for trades in particular now that this work can start up again. You were calling it a click and collect style system. How many managers are you seeing doing that? Is that happening in Brighton Duggan? What tips have you got around setting up that kind of process? So a shout out to Anthony Vitano from Premier Strata. I stole click and collect from him. And as at today, our business installed two 
click and collect boxes at the front of our building. So we've got key boxes there and we've got QR codes to operate. So this is, again, an innovative response to a current practical issue. We've created a system where you pick up a key and you drop off a key via a QR code system, totally contactless for trades and for for tenants and the like who need to access their property. Very simple. It was a $200 lockbox in each instance. QR codes can be downloaded and set up in the blink of an eye. So that is, I think, an innovative response. It's also a very practical response that strata managers can start to implement or even buildings who don't have a building manager where you might have some common property keys that you provide and an owner for example can leave a key to their apartment outside or or the like obviously seek approval before installing anything on the common property but there are typically areas where you may be able to put a small key box so i think that's a solution amanda to a current problem it also then plays into the hands of strata searches, which we had a lot of inquiry on our webinar the other day, because strata searches are a really functional part of the economy of strata, which is property transactions continuing, people needing to do necessary searches, and they can be accommodated often without any contact, but they can be challenging if the technology doesn't support that. So there are some solutions that strata managers can put in place. There can be some direct data dumps that can be done for the very flatline data in a section 184 that needs to be produced. There can also be information that can be provided on email or in, a, in I guess, in a less technology-enabled fashion. You can have someone in the office, if they're capable of attending the office, to provide that material via email to a, to a person. We would strongly recommend that you get a professional search agent to undertake those. I don't think now is the time to do your own strata search. I think for a small investment, for a large peace of mind, get a professional to do it. Yeah, that's definitely a question that has been coming up a lot. How do we continue to facilitate those searches? And I would have hoped that most strata management companies last year would have put in place the processes and the technology to be able to have online search functionality to have all of their files electronic. But it does seem that still some companies aren't quite there yet. Uh, We've probably seen, you've probably seen a rapid change in the last 18 months and a a big shift to a more modern way of working, a forced shift that might not otherwise have happened so quickly. Look, there's nothing to unreasonably expect that every strata search could be conducted in a short period of time electronically. I mean, all that information should be electronic. There is some historical documentation that may not be, but frankly, if that information is not available on electronic form, I don't know about its relevance. I mean, if anyone has seen the handover of books on records, you've probably seen how much information uh, and historical information is there. Now, I don't think that's necessarily appropriate to be viewed by a strata searcher, but in some cases they'd like to see it. I think what we'd like to see and what we're working with potentially in any change legislation is a much more mandated set of what information should be provided. So a consistent set of information provided and potentially legislated with that provision because to steer off a little bit into building defects, there is an inconsistency in the information that's being provided to consumers, which is preventing them having the full picture around what they're buying. I think there needs to be a harmonisation and potentially legislation around consistency of information in a strata search. That would be amazing to have that. There's definitely a difference between what a strata searcher asks to be produced and wants to inspect and what a strata lawyer asks to be produced and wants to inspect for sure. Uh, So it would be very 
helpful to have some guidelines around that legislated. That's something that I would look forward to. Uh, lots and lots of comments, questions here. I'm very grateful to our experts, I'm going to call you, who are tuning in and who are in there answering questions. Natalie Fitzgerald from More Than Strata, I can see, is in there answering questions. I've been following those and you're looking like you're on the money there, Natalie. Jane Hearns comments. Uh, Jane is the spokeswoman for the Owners Corporation Network when it comes to COVID and also short-term letting and a past guest here on live and Jane's comments are always insightful and she is certainly one of those people who has a seat at the table with government and does her best to ensure we don't get forgotten in this process. Looking forward, Chris, to seeing what further amendments we might see to these public health orders to be able to clarify some of these issues that we've been talking about. That's definitely something, as they come to my attention, I will be bringing to our followers here on the page. And as I said in my email today, Chris, I know you don't mind a weekend text message <laughs> from me saying, Chris, how did this happen? What, what's your view on this? Does this mean uh, what I think it means? And look, I think we're, we're all, just to use the very sad adage, we are all in this together. I think the one thing we can be certain of is that there's going to be significant change, unfortunately, over the next four weeks. And what I'm really happy with and what I, I think is a wonderful reflection of the collegiateness of the strata industry is how freely we share information and collaborate and everyone ultimately wants to serve the strata community better. So I can tell you, going back to that last fortnight ago when the original orders hit there were a bunch of strata professionals across the country in contact with each other in contact with government sharing that information real time and hopefully for the benefit of strata owners so that we can give you that advice but when and if it does change we're here hopefully not this weekend i'd like to just watch the olympics please and <laughs> have some time out as probably you would but if and when it changes that's our job thank you very much chris i hope you do get some downtime this weekend. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We will catch you next time. And thank you, Chris Duggan. See you soon. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you to your viewers. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?